Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hulu's just-released new original, The Looming Tower. Based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Lawrence Wright, this limited series traces the rising threat of Osama bin Laden and how the rivalry between the FBI and the CIA may have set a path for the tragedy of 9-11. Looming Tower is available now only on Hulu. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code WATCH, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he just beat Mike Vick in a foot race. It's Eddie Greenwald! I'm so glad you started there, Chris, because every so often we get moments yeah. in television. Just trans- transcendent moments. <laughs> moments that remind me just why we do this, you know? Why we do this. And Michael Vick just racing people for sport yeah. outside of a strip club. On the last episode of Atlanta was one of those moments. Probably not since the spaceship in Fargo season two. Have, have you I been felt, that excited? It, have really, I just it was felt dialed like, into our interests in a big way. For sure. But yeah. also just a moment of, I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm floating in space. This is what I watch television for. It's for, for Michael Vick versus Donald Glover 100-yard dash races. Just surprise and delight me, man. Like, what, Is that hard to ask? Atlanta keeps delivering, and it, it's good that it does, because we've got a podcast about that. Not this one. No. no. We, we will talk about Heaven Atlanta. Heaven Not this one. Everyone, <laughs> There's a little on. podcast called The Recapables that you should be subscribed it's to. It's podcast, hosted right? by Amanda Dobbins with a rotating guest list of other Ringer contributors. Amanda Dobbins from Atlanta. I know. Well, has why she, you know? Has she ever, aside from being a dynamite podcast host, yeah. that, she has the pedigree. Has she ever foot raced any member of the Vic family? I don't. I don't think so. Marcus Vic, I think, is more into uh, snake fighting. <laughs> I think so. Um, Amanda hosts the Recapables Atlanta. That is ongoing. At goes up after every episode of Atlanta on Thursday, and starting this Sunday mm-hmm. is another show on the Recapables feed. A young podcaster named William J. Simmons mm. is throwing his hat in the Recapables wearing, and he is hosting the Recapables Billions. Wow. With Binge Mode's own Mallory Rubin. This is relevant to your interests as well. This is something that you care about. Billions? Yeah. Is something I deeply care about. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're excited. I'm, there may be some billions, some written billions content for me this week. We'll see. For real. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Um, so please check out the Recapables. Please check out uh, all the TV coverage. Allison Herman's been writing some great stuff. Good Bill Hader piece by Greta Daro today yeah. on the site. So you can't go wrong when you read The Ringer. And we're talking Barry next week, right? We are we'll- talking Barry next week. But today, Andy, you know, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. Pat Muldowney and the squad, they set us up this Facebook group. And it's become a, a hive of conversation. Mm. It's, it is the new water cooler. Facebook mm-hmm. is the new water cooler. Facebook wow. is also the new water game. Shouts, shouts to Cambridge Analytica for sponsoring our uh, our conversation group. Couple, really bumpy week for them. But, you know, I can't quit you, Facebook, because we've got this great Facebook group. Are you, you bright siding Cambridge Analytica? Like, look, well, democracy is on in ashes and tatters. But on the plus side, you can get some, you can really hook up with your fellow watch fans. You can. And, and they talk. have some great questions, some great conversation topics going on in the Facebook group. So we thought can, we would do a mailbag that's largely drawn from our Facebook. And we are going to talk about the third episode of Collateral. Can I just tell you that my introduction to the watch fan group yeah. has been bumpy? First of all, I was not green lighted into the group yeah. <laughs> right away. It's a process. You know, it's, I, like, it's like skull and bones. I was vetted heavily. <laughs> yeah. I believe I was likely data mined. And then I was finally granted access. And the way I, here's how I found out I was in the group. Uh-huh. I uh, fired up the old Facebook on the, on the app, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, my phone. And uh, right underneath the information where a guy who went to high school a year ahead of me was celebrating the nine-year-old birthday of his son. Uh-huh. This is a person I've not spoken why to in you, 22 why years. Why did you say it that way? The nine-year-old birthday? Well, because what he did was, and this is what face, it says, remember this? It's like he posted what he posted nine oh. years ago. Yo, can I just say? That sucks. <laughs> I don't mean this to be like full Daddington, but like, why do people write letters to their children on their Facebook page? Have you noticed that? <laughs> And it's always like, dear Jonah, you are a bright, shining star. Yeah. It's like, is Jonah being data mined on what, Facebook does, too? Does that get downvoted? Can you downvote a Facebook post? Why don't you just tell Jonah he's right there well, in the Jonah's room with you? God doesn't have like the mind grapes yet to really he's ferment not, on he's that. He's nine. 
Yeah, but like, can he really process like the the nuances of, of your, your boys? Dad, your dad loving you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He can. Anyway, underneath that, <laughs> I got some another... notes on that from my own father. Fair enough. <laughs> underneath that was another post, and it was just someone I I wasn't familiar with, and I was uh-huh. like, I don't remember this guy from high school. <laughs> I don't think this is a friend of my dad. Did you go to like? Where did you go? You didn't go to Central. But, you but, went to a Quaker school. But what I what it said was gonna have to like press gonna have to push back on chris and andy saying craig max flavor in your ear was song oh, of the yeah, summer yeah 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 1994 was all about green day fellas and i'm like whoa whoa yeah. this is what's happening well you know you, you know it's a two-way conversation that's Andy. what's shocking to me that's what's cool about facebook i that's what's cool <laughs> here's the thing i definitely and i'm new to this i i here's why i like podcasting you're fine, by the way. <laughs> You're great. Okay. But what I liked about it was that it was kind of the lecture model of the uh-huh. university. You know, like we're the Hyde Park Barker. We yeah. stand, we stand up on our crate and we yell at the trees, yeah. and the trees don't yell back. But hey, trees, what's up? So fair enough. It's true. Was "Flavor in Your Ear" a Billboard Top Ten track that year? Yes, actually, it was number nine. I looked that up. The answer is yes. <laughs> Dear Jonah, <laughs> Craig Mack was a rapper. Letter to my unborn son <laughs> about flavor in your my unknown scene. chart position. So anyway, I guess the point is to say that we're listening. We're listening. You know what uh, our producer loves? Banter. Banter. So let's get into the questions. You've got mail. Let's get into the mailbag questions. The first one comes from Max Marvin. And I got, I got, I got some heat for you here, Max. Okay. Do you guys have any guilty, guilty pleasure or trash reality shows that you watch? Maybe as a palate cleanser compared to all this peak TV that they are, quote, forced to watch. And nobody's forcing us to do anything. It's yeah. not like gavage. It's yeah. not like we're, we're, we're making culture foie gras here. But, Max, you know, this is sort of interesting because I think that there was a point where there was almost like a poptimist mo- mo- movement. Oh, movement, yeah, yeah. Moment, movement, moment for uh, television where... There was no such thing as bad TV. There was just there was no such thing as bad TV genres or bad TV formats. There was only bad TV or good TV, and that something like Vanderpump could be as dramatic or you know sort of psychologically probing. Shouts, as, to, shouts to Sam Esmail. Well, so but there are people yeah. who, you know people think that, uh, and Juliet Lemon has convinced me thoroughly, even if I don't necessarily watch a lot of those shows, that there's a lot to be found in those shows in a lot of reality shows. By the way, note to Bravo, if anyone had told me Vanderpump Rules was about a restaurant, I maybe would have watched it once. Yeah. I thought it was about a weightlifting place where people were just Vanderpumping iron. You thought it was literally about pumping. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, I I don't necessarily know if we're still in that poptimist moment where it's like right. this idea. Now just briefly, poptimism is just this idea that there is this sort of stodgy concept of create authorship and creator, you know, that, that rock and roll and specifically bands were like where real music was written right. and, uh, and produced. And that pop was this sort of corporate shills making this factory plated music. And that in fact, you could find a lot of artistry within the work of Christina Aguilera or whatever. But, you know, right. It's a valuable theory and sort of is dominated and changed the way we talk about popular music. And I think that there has been a lot of scholarship about reality television. That was all just to say that I don't even know if guilty pleasures or trash TV even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. That being said. Yeah, here it comes. Uh, I fucking love Gold Rush. I don't even know what that is. Gold Rush is on Nat Geo, Max. And that's my guilty pleasure. And I don't necessarily tape episodes of Gold Rush or sit down to watch it. In fact, you've never seen it. But there is something that I think exists here. And yeah. it's called the Jet Blue Zone. And it's when you are oh, yeah. stuck in a seat. Yeah. For six hours flying yeah. somewhere, flying across the country. And uh, you're like, yeah, like, you know, JetBlue, they don't have like the on demand movies. Like they'll just start it yeah. and then you can kind of jump in where it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So and often I've seen those movies or I don't want to watch them. So I'm flipping around. And what I love on a flight is a marathon, mm-hmm. it's like episode after you episode after episode of Shark thing. Tank or whatever. But I got into Gold Rush over so, the last so couple give me of the, Give me the elevator pitch. It's I've never heard of It's basically a bunch of dudes desecrating Mother Earth <laughs> to look for, I guess, somewhat significant amounts of gold. Wait, it's, but like, so this ultimately, one is, when you have to pay for like excavators and all these homies flying up to Alaska yeah. and like the gas, it's like once they get out from under all the debt they in- incur. Yeah, you'd have to get a lot of gold. They got to get a lot of gold. Yeah. I like watching them try, though. These dudes just stay just being like, fuck, I just like lost my life savings on this on this backhoe that broke in the Alaskan summer mud. 
And uh, I'm fascinated by it. It's actually just like, it's usually these two or three crews working in different parts of Alaska, mildly competing against each other. And there's a couple of like, oh, this guy left this crew to go work on this crew. And I'm particularly into this guy, Parker Schnabel, who's like- Is uh, he related to Julian Schnabel, He's really painter? young. He looks like Adam Driver. Great. And he kind of sounds like Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> and uh, hey. he's really into Dram, you know, the rapper, D-R-A-M. Uh-huh. And uh, he is sort of this enfant terrible of the Gold Rush community. <laughs> of the Prospector Hive. Yeah. And he recently yeah. just did a spinoff show called Gold Rush- Parker's Trail, where he and three buddies like hiked the original like gold mining trail. So this is an, enough of a thing to yeah. be spawning sub things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that. I guess if I have a guilty pleasure, if you're in the jet blue zone yeah. and you want to watch a marathon, I recommend Gold Rush. Do you have a guilty pleasure right now? I'm really into this jet blue zone idea. Yeah. I, as people know, if I am ever allowed to fly solo on an airplane or should I have an opportunity, I will watch the major films of the previous 16 months. <laughs> And report to all of you on them. That's my thing. But when I'm flying with with children, and we've been flying on on the JetBlue recently, Mm -hmm. the JetBlue zone for me is having the screen on, and I'll find like ESPN5, where they're showing like a Nottingham somebody match in the Premier League. Yeah. I know nothing about the teams. Nottingham's not in the Premier League. I can't even... Okay, well, (laughs) there's my first problem. You're definitely not watching the Premier League, number one. And I just sort of watched them kick the ball on mute. <laughs> You're like a cat. <laughs> Literally, it is something to distract my eyes. And I find that very calming. Um, so sports. No, what's your guilty pleasure? I know that I, you're going to say, like, are you, is there like, what's the, the basest of food TV that you will watch? Um, it used to be um, Chopped. I really like Chopped a lot. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of theories on yeah. strategy and Chopped. But... I, I really don't even, this is interesting, I noticed, I really don't turn on television anymore, linear television. I'm almost, I, although I pay health, a healthy amount <laughs> yeah. to maintain the live television, I'm generally just going to the Apple TV and choosing among among the, 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 the little boxes. Um, That's interesting. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't go to Food Network anymore, or okay. cooking channel like I used to. Um, I think, I mean, this, this is not... I don't feel guilty about this. I was hoping we could yeah, talk about it sometime. Yeah. But in the last few weeks, when the thought of watching the four counterparts that I haven't watched yet to catch up begin to weigh on me, I have instead fired up the new Queer Eye, which is Ooh. super good. That's what everybody is saying. It is really deeply emotional. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. I really, really recommend it. Um, I can't. I couldn't tell if that was like a millennial bit. No. Did you ever watch the first one? No. First one was great. Okay. It is very, very, the first one was very emotional. I mean, because it really was about these guys who are funny and talented and charming and charismatic and fun to watch. But it really is like, let's save men from themselves. Okay. Uh, an underappreciated genre, because usually television <laughs> is about watching men destroy themselves. <laughs> and so it's a nice antidote to that. And for this one, they got a new Fab Five who are also all indeed, they are indeed Fab. Uh-huh. Um, but they moved it from, because in the first season they filmed in and around New York, so they were basically only helping people in like Port Jeff Station, like up on Long Island. So it was not that far removed from what to us at the time was our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to Atlanta and its environs. Now, they are not necessarily helping... Um, Paperboy? Paperboy. But they are actually going to like what I would feel comfortable saying is Trump country and sashaying in in many cases and helping people and it's very heartwarming okay it is a very very uh pleasurable watch it you you will cry okay so gold rush and queer eye are the two things yeah. that probably we use as palate cleansers from uh, well it's PTV. interesting we've never talked about yeah them, so it's a good question next question drew turton wants to know it's a two-parter uh name a time so i'm going to take the first part and then i'm going to ask you to take the second part okay okay so the first part is name a time where the movie was better than the book. And Drew, that's a good question. A lot of the times, um, because of like the psychological depth that books have mm-hmm. over movies and the fact that you can really live inside of a character's mm-hmm. mind or, mm-hmm. you know, that you can listen to, you can read descriptions of what, I'm reading a Richard Ford book now set in mm-hmm. Oaxaca and the way he describes the light bouncing off the mountains and the way he describes smells is just incredible. But typically, you know, that, that you can't do that with movies, but there are, are obviously some films mm-hmm. that have eclipsed the books. And I would say the number one one for me is The Godfather. Okay. <clears throat> Mario Puzo's book, uh, which I've skimmed, I wouldn't say that I've spent a ton of time with, uh, is is more known as like a kind of sensational like beach 
beach read, you mm-hmm. know, a paperback kind of uh, blockbuster of the time. But The Godfather is is one of the three or four best American films ever made. I would also say Stand By Me, which I thought oh, found yeah. like a new level of emotional resonance with mm-hmm. the performances from Will Wheaton and, and, and River Phoenix and, and the people who were in that movie uh, that the Stephen King story didn't quite reach. And I think probably even Stephen King would admit that. But that's, that's one of those that I think kind of takes the source material and yeah. goes way, way farther. The I, second part, unless you have I've one, got you two. Want, oh, throw it out there. Uh, one is MASH. Um, oh, yeah. The book is fine and of its time. I forget the name of the author. It's very dated, particularly in the way the characters talk about hot lips, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yeah. would not do well in the hashtag Me Too era. Yeah. Um, the, the movie is so fantastic and so alive and so disrespectful of the book, but also disrespectful of the screenplay famously. Yeah. Remember Ring Lardner Jr. won an Oscar for a screenplay that Robert Altman essentially threw out uh, when he made the movie. Sure. But in a way, you know, it, it not only captured something really thrilling and exciting about American filmmaking at the time, it commented in a very vibrant way on Vietnam, even though it was set in the Korean War. Um that's one example. The other one I would say is There Will Be Blood. Uh, I I have to say I've not really spent much time in the Sinclair crates. Sinclair Lewis? Flipping through, um, yeah, it was, it was Upton, Upton Sinclair, Sinclair, right? Upton Sinclair, my bad, yeah. Upton Sinclair's oil. Um, we actually had a Exclamation talk with... Exclamation point. We, yeah, we had a talk with Sean Fennessy about this recently because as um, the Ringer's preeminent PTA scholar, he has definitely read and underlined his copy of oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, there is something truly thrilling uh, when a filmmaker find something that excites him or her and find something that will speak to the culture, to the times in a more primal way, in the way that visual, a movie can be more primal because it is not telling you, it is showing you. Okay, so the second part of Drew's question was Mm -hmm. what director-actor combo would you want to make the movie adaptation of The Last Good Kiss? Oh, see, this is why I should look at the questions before we do the podcast. Zach, that's a good note for me for the future. Here's what I will say, Drew, is that we are going to circle back to this. Okay. It's because we, you know, we're doing Last Good Kiss for Double Down Book Club. I don't know if we've decided exactly the date that we're going to start talking about. No, it. I did notice in the very nice graphic that Zach threw up, he put a library due date on it. Of, oh. I believe like April 9th, early April, first half of April. Maybe we'll give people okay. a little more time. But so we'll do that. And then so maybe when we do, when we talk about it for the D Double Down Book Club, we'll have our... Yeah, that's great. We'll if, have our pitches if, for who should write and direct and who should, who should star And in if movie. people are reading it, then they can have form their own ideas and opinions and we'll we'll circle back but that is an exciting exciting idea so next question adon magana asks uh-huh. the guys have talked about how movies have taken uh, taken back the monoculture and dominate our shared cultural conversation yeah. the way shows like breaking bad or mad men did at the peak of tv's golden age aside from every other tv show being a game of thrones or star wars spinoff <sighs> what does tv have to do to reclaim its place in the culture i want to ask I'm going to take Adon's question here, mm-hmm. and I want to flip it and ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Would Black Panther mm-hmm. be as big of a deal mm-hmm. if it was a 10-episode Netflix show? No. What if that meant more Killmonger backstory, more Dora Milaje, mm-hmm. more Sterling K. Brown, mm-hmm. more uh, everything, Every, oh, diving deeper into this world that everybody yeah. can't get enough of? I'm not taking away anything from the big screen spectacle. Or do you think that the whole point of why it's captured the imagination is that because now we are mm-hmm. entering, there was this whole thing back in the day when like, you know, an album would go like triple, quadruple or five what times a, platinum. Diamond status. And you were like, are people literally buying three copies of this Hootie and the Blowfish album? Yes. I think people are going to see Black Panther for third and fourth for times sure. now. You know? And um, there's an article in Deadline over the weekend that we can put throw in the show notes. The... The numbers on this movie's performance are gobsmacking. They're insane. Yeah. So what would you say, okay, if not Black Panther as a television event, and you can talk about that. Yeah. What what would TV have to do to take back that conversation? I think in terms of Black Panther, I think there are two conversations. One is about the quality of the movie, which is a conversation we've had and happy to have again. Um, The other is what it represents and what it means. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way it would be almost cheapening the achievement to say, well, we need to explain all this a little bit more. Part of the triumph of the movie is its swagger and confidence and scale and saying, we don't need to hold your hand to introduce you to a predominantly black world of superheroes or a fictional African country. You're here. And this is how things are going to go here. 
and you either come on this ride with us or you don't. Yeah. And to the tune of a billion dollars, people went along with it. I think that's the importance of that movie. That being said, Black Panther and the mythology created around the character and added to it by ta Coates recently or Christopher Priest or all these other great writers who have worked on the character is certainly rich enough to have ongoing television type stories with the mythology with previous Black Panthers. I mean, that's all there. Yeah, sure. And you know there are rooms somewhere in town already trying to mine that for potential spinoffs. Um, the other note I would say is that the Infinity War, the last Infinity War trailer dropped and the posters are out and so people are talking again. It's very hard. I think the first way to frame the question is it looks like the most successful movies of our time, which basically at this point you could say are the Marvel movies. In terms yeah, and of- Sean has a really good piece that's up today about Disney's dominance over the last decade and they have something like yeah. Six of the top 12. All time, yeah, right? Already. Right. Yeah. And a, the, a bunch of them have been released over the last few and, years. And they're TV shows. Yeah. They stole, in some ways, borrowed, utilized, whatever you want to say, some of the things that helped make television dominant in the previous decade. The interlocking storyline, the sense that, you know, we can't wait for the next one. Um, it, that's, what, that's what that is. So it's sort of hard to think about what TV could do when movies jacked some of their best moves and then amped up the budgets and the stars that are willing to appear in them. Um, The final question, I have no idea. Uh, Because it was interesting that American Idol is back. Um, I've not watched it. I can't imagine you've watched it. You're too busy watching prospector porn. (laughs) Um, But that is a show that was more than The Sopranos, certainly, was the poster child of the centrality of television to our culture appointment television, even as people were starting to DVR and, and there were beginning to be streaming options near the end of American Idol's run. They had voting, and, for Christ's sake. And you had to t- tune in live to yes, do it. Yeah. And it's kind of came back with a whimper because that specific moment is over. I mean, of course, the voice is popular and competition shows will always have a certain baseline of popularity, but that moment has passed in a very profound way. And so it's, it's hard to imagine what could take the place of it unless there really is that show that people are chasing all over this town yeah, I wonder that captures not... the imagination because we, I wanted to fold this into our conversation anyway, but I imagine you and probably a lot of our listeners saw, uh, I think someone even posted it on the Facebook group. There was a th- long thread about people misunderstanding Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, we should re- retweet this again so people see it. But basically misunderstanding Netflix's metric for success because Netflix and Amazon and Apple are technology companies yes. before they are entertainment companies. And I've said that, I think I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think Netflix is viewed as a studio when in fact it's a video store. It, and and it, well, it's a streaming service with technology. And yes. Everything I mean, is I, I'm being flippant. Yes. And I, I like and love lots of Netflix oh, mean, shows. Right, they're West Coast video, but they make the movies in yeah, the back. Uh, yeah, but it's like they're... They're ambivalent about whether something is quote-unquote good or not. Of course, it's better if something is good in the hopes that it gets to people more. Yes. But if Cloverfield Paradox is Paramount's distressed asset, that doesn't mean shit to Netflix. Exactly right. As far as they're concerned, they paid $50 million or whatever they paid for a sci-fi movie from Bad Robot. And to make the splash um, after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl and to show that they're willing to mean business and shareholders see how aggressive they're being and what they're spending money on and and the engagement and awareness of that movie were probably off the roof, I mean, through the roof because of the way they did it. Mm -hmm. Um, What's interesting about Apple coming out and saying, we're all about quality. We're all about making the best shows, not all the shows. But let's also say another thing. Until they make something, Apple is all about press releases. (laughs) That's true. Their press release game has been outstanding. That's true. Apple's press releases recently are like, we're making amazing stories with Steven Spielberg. We're making a morning news show with Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. It's like, great. What Announce more. That's awesome. But until you make something. But I also, the the caveat is the people who work at these places who they've hired are many, in many cases, dedicated television professionals who care about creative success and excellence and have good relationships with people. No question. But the companies themselves, all of this, I brought this up in in response to that very good question because they're not trying necessarily. Right. They're not trying because Netflix is much more, is much happier to have 19 B-minuses that engage completely with 19 subgroups who tell their friends and family to watch things, maybe watch things more than once, than they are to have two things 
that everybody watches. So let me, we're gonna, I'm gonna skip ahead a couple of questions just to do this. Is that we have a question from a guy named Beatport Zach, which I don't think is our producer's alias, but I, if it is, that's hilarious. Do you think Netflix and Amazon would ever consider event-based weekly TV for their prestige level shows? The current glut of bingeable content doesn't seem sustainable in terms of being able to capture the cultural zeitgeist like Game of Thrones and Westworld, Westworld on HBO or basically all of the FX shows. Let me tell you this, Beatport. You mean putting something out every week instead mm-hmm. of dumping, right? There is no greater indicator of the difference between what Andy and I and our colleagues think matters and what actually matters mm-hmm. than what Netflix does. Because if Netflix was really concerned about owning the conversation, mm-hmm. they could have it for at least two of the 12 months of the year, if not more, with ne- with Stranger Things. Because if Stranger Things was a weekly event yep. series, we would talk about it for weeks leading up to it. Even this season, I could tell within the building, within us covering Stranger Things, there was a certain fatigue. It was like, we're going to pour all this energy into what Stranger Things is going to do next so that people can watch it in 10 hours. Yep. So what are we supposed to do here? How do we keep up with that? Yeah. The recap game you know, is is ridiculed, but in fact was the lifeblood of this conversation around television. Uh-huh. You could have had an a eight-week, a two-month run where all people talked about was what's going to happen next on Stranger Things. And you could have that kind of... I, I think Stranger Things actually maybe, you know, you could argue whether or not it could support that kind of scrutiny the way Game of Thrones really can and Westworld really lends itself. But I don't think that they care. And that's the biggest thing is that, you know, they will spend tons of money on sci-fi shows that people would love to to pick over for four or five days and then watch the next one and pick that one over for four or five days. But they don't care, man. And I and I I think that that's that's the most fascinating difference about this age. I totally agree. And I don't want to sound too much like the guy who walked uphill to school in the snow both ways, although clearly that's my demographic now. Um, But one of the great joys for me about covering TV and becoming more involved in TV during the Grantland era and, you know, pre pre House of Cards Netflix before the monolith Netflix became was the feeling, truly a feeling that I think was legitimate that we all had a stake in these shows in a way. It was a unique medium that felt in a strange way like a collaboration between the business interests, the creative people making the show and the fandom. Um, Not only because TV is unique in that it can, as we've joked many times, tweak itself along the way and steer into mistakes or right around them or cr- almost crash and then veer back onto the road in an interesting way. Um, but because when a show aired on Sunday night, it really felt like we, the fans, and of course then the, 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 the hot take community, yeah. lifted up the show on our shoulders. Like it was an ex- football night in America, but it was like we, yeah. During the intervening six days, we lifted up the show on our shoulders like an exhausted marathoner and carried it to Sunday with conversation and ideas and whatever. And that, that feeling was very fun. Um, and important to how we thought about covering things and how an entire segment of um, online journalism covers things. Netflix don't care. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right because it, it's of no value to them when you watch it. What's valuable to them is that you is that you watch it, period. The HBO but actually, model. what's valuable to them is that you just pay them the sub, sub fee to have access yeah. to, to those the things. The HBO model was the NFL model. It's every Sunday, yeah. America gathers around its television. Very For well the said. week leading up to it, you have essentially like a week of anal- analysis about HBO shows that mirrored the analysis that happens with NFL Free games. promotion yeah. that they are not involved in. People like us obsessing over it, podcasts, uh, articles, recaps, all this stuff, people talking to each other at work about it. Then Sunday comes mm-hmm. and it's a live event that everybody pretty much watches on time. Mm-hmm. Imagine if the NFL simmed their seasons in one day. Mm-hmm. Now, there might be a lot of people out there who want to know whether or not their team wins the Super Bowl. Our team won the Super Bowl, by the there way. There might be a lot of people who don't get to do it the first day, and yeah. then I tell them, don't bother watching X show. It sucks. Or, and they might be like, I don't have to watch football this season. You could say, don't bother watching because the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl and Tom Brady dropped a pass. 
<laughs> you could tell them that. <laughs> then they'd watch. Then they'd watch. <laughs> then they'd watch. But I'm I, think, just I, that, I think that's a great, great, great that, analogy. Imagine that. Imagine if you were like, okay, you want instant gratification? Hit Sim. Here's what happens. That's basically what Netflix is doing. You want to get through yeah. 10 episodes of House of Cards? I can't believe they don't want to take advantage of the of, of that runway. Like when that when that show is really cracking in the first two seasons, they just like would just throw it up there. And you know, for the first season, everybody got into it. Everybody was obsessed with it. We were all talking about it. It looked amazing, Fincher, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They could do that with Mindhunter, and they don't. And that's just the way that they've decided to do it. And I, I don't know what will ever change their mind if they haven't done it already. One thing to say, since the creation of that industry, the, the coverage industry, it, it still exists, but I don't know if it is, it's, I can just actually definitively say, it is not nearly as universal. What I mean is Atlanta, we were saying for months we couldn't wait for it to come back because it has the championship belt, of course, because it does engender that kind of conversation. It sure. comes out on a weekly basis. When the show airs, Everything online is talking about it. Yeah. At least the things that, that, that I From follow or, 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 or engage yeah. with. Right. It is not as big as some things, but that audience is still ready and excited to be a part of something on a regular basis. And that is thrilling. And even when, I, I just feel like we can sort of just fold in a brief, just brief uh, take on that episode. What was, I thought, a weaker episode in general of the show. Of Atlanta has these moments. Yeah. It has the opening with the white tears and the, you know, making fun of the the the, the viral video in response to the Vince Staples song. Yeah. Um, shout out Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> and ends with a Vic moment. Even a relatively off episode has the, that level of, of virality and excitement. And people like want to jump on it sure. and comment on it and start immediately. Like I knew the episode, I get confused sometimes because we live in California and I don't remember when things are actually happening uh, on the East Coast. And I fired up Twitter and I saw someone um, hashtag Colin Kaepernick and I was like, oh, Atlanta must be on. Because I had seen the screener and it had suddenly like yeah, the tidal yeah. wave had hit culture. Yeah. Um, that's still exciting for us, even though it is now more of a niche thing. All right. We're going to be back to answer more of your mailbag questions and talk a little bit about episode three of Collateral after word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Black Tux. The Black Tux is the easy way for guys to rent suits and tuxedos online for more than a year now. I've been wearing The Black Tux to all my special events, weddings, bat mitzvahs, live Oscar podcasts, any of that stuff. Just to play, you know, it's, it, they, they are able to make me look good in a flash. It's so easy. Suit comes in the mail, send it back in the mail, adjustments are made. Their customer service team is awesome. You just place your order online and the suit will arrive 14 days before your event. You wear it, turn heads, send it back three days after your event. Shipping is free both ways. Whether you're going for a stylist selected outfit or building a custom look, the Black Tux has tons of suits and tuxedos for you to choose from. And they are always adding amazing new selections. Plus, with their new fit algorithm, you don't have to awkwardly measure yourself. The Black Tux does it for you. They'll even let you feel the fit and quality of your suit months before the event with a free home try-on. Look as great as your date with the Black Tux to get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch for $20 off your first purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Fun fact, unlike flights or other travel, hotel rates actually get cheaper at the last minute. In fact, Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book a room. No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels. It's perfect for if you're busy or you don't want to overthink things. Plus, you can book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. Book next week tonight, book next month tonight. It's great for last minute getaways or a quick staycation, whether you're a planner or you like to leave things to the very last minute. And with Hotel Tonight's HD Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. You've got mail. Greenwald, we are back. Speaking of Vince Staples, on Keek Mantra asks, outside of Jason Manzukis and Sam Esmail, who would you like to have as guest hosts on the pod? Now, Jason and Sam have kind of moved into this zone, whether you know it's like the Tom Hanks SNL zone, but it's yeah. I like having those guys on so much, aside from the fact that they're amazing people, is that they kind of break out of the 
well, you know, I've been working on this. Let me talk about it. It's more like, I want to talk about the things that you guys are talking about. In fact, Sam won't talk about what he's working on. It's just very fun for us. Yeah. It's hard to get people there. And and this is just a wish list that I've put together for us. Oh, did you? Yeah. Do you want to know mine? Because you actually have a list. I just had one person at the top of my head. Uh, Yvonne Orji. I want her back because yeah. she's never actually been on the podcast. She did just a, a live show. She did a live throne show with, with us this summer at Largo. There were some videos put out. But we couldn't put out the whole audio. Yeah. It was her and Zooks together. Had never met Dynamite together. Yeah. Um, she's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I hope I hope we can get her on before the next season of Insecure. I would love to have Vince Staples on. Love Vince, to have his takes. Vince Staples is the king right now. Yeah. Vince Staples is, is like an all-time talk show podcast guest. Um, Jason Bateman. Well, this is... We've got a lot to discuss with him. You are just... This is the secret. You're putting this out into the universe. I've asked. Yeah. It's, I'll put it out there. It's not on Front Street or anything, but I've asked for Bateman. You know? You should try just sort of... Um, you only made one of the top five movies of the year already, bro. To, uh, game Night? Game Night. Tweak the ask and tell him that this is a Daddington pod. And no, that's I'm all we talk about. That. Then I get isolated. Then I get alienated from the process. Listen, he's going to show up. You think you, that him, you and I, we literally scream at the top of our lungs about yeah. how good Ozark are. But if you think we appeal to his fatherhood, he'll come on. I think he would come on and then you could just scream to him about money laundering. <laughs> I would also love to spend some time with Gina Rodriguez. Oh, God, she's great. Yeah. Did you listen to her on Marin? Yeah. She seems she seems like a fun hang. Roger Deakins. What's that guy doing? Wow. Roger Deakins really, you know, toiling in the shadows I until the Oscars. I would just be like, what was London in the 70s like? Or- yeah, he seems to still live there. Yeah, seriously. I got to say, should, uh, this is a circumstance. You know remember? that dude saw the jam once, two, you know? Two, like- two, two, two comments. Someone on, uh, when we put up the picture of us with our friends, uh, the Shib Sibs. Yeah. Um, and they let us wear their medals, which is very cool. Uh, someone on Instagram was like, you know, if you wear an Olympic medal, it's not yours. It means you'll never win one. And I was like, that's that's fine. I, I walked in here from a busy morning of dropping a kid off at school and everyone here was like, are you walking OK? Did you break your leg? So I'm not concerned about winning an Olympic medal. But a similar circumstance is I'm never going to be nominated for an Oscar 16 times sure. or whatever it is. Yeah. But if I were, I promise you on the 16th or 17th time, I would not be as ready. I would not be as right. debonair and right. just like how nice. Yeah. I would I would be straight luching or I would just be a mess. The 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 goal the holy grail for us though mm-hmm. is um the father to our style and mm-hmm. the voice the first voice you hear when you fire oh, up God. the watch and that's Edward Norton. And Norton would be an incredible guest. Yeah. Norton, you know, I love actors who are described I just want to talk about the Highline, bro. I, I love actors who are described as cerebral. <laughs> that can mean so many things. That can just mean like he's read a book. Or it can mean, you know, he is ready to like diagram like plays on a blackboard yeah, for us. He is a Gruden's grinder. I feel like that guy could really <laughs> diagram the West Coast offense. Also, a fascinating last few months he's had because he has not been in any movies. He's directing a Jonathan Lethem adaptation yeah. in New York. And his only appearance in the public sphere in the last few months was that Salma Hayek op-ed where she was basically like, my boyfriend Edward kindly rewrote the entire script of Frida for me for free. Yeah. Wow. I'd be interested to talk to him. So uh, another question here is from Cal O'Boyle. And this one's more for you than it is for me. Okay. Can you explain the particulars? And this is useful because it's coming back. Of what it is mm-hmm. that Westworld is not accomplishing that you want it to. Is this a leftover scenario where season two could blow you out of the water? Also, Tessa Thompson. Hashtag team human. Uh, no. It, the thing about the leftovers in the first season was it was calibrated to a degree that I just didn't like and I didn't think it was working. But it was clearly interested in things that I'm interested in shows exploring. It was deeply invested in human emotion and responses and the idea of the world being unknowable, mysteries lurking in a way that would never be not interested in easy resolution or answers. In that case, it was a direct response to Damon's experience on Lost um, and in some ways a refutation of it. My response to the first season, and I've said this before, was like anger. Mm -hmm. And anger is kind of love, just tweaked a little bit. And so when they got the balance right, and Damon talked to us about this, you know, he remembered, um, actually, he was forced to remember because he had the misfortune of attending a funeral, but he remembered that people often laugh at funerals. Mm-hmm. There are wakes. And he realized that he had to let some light in in order to appreciate the darkness on the show. And then I think it elevated itself into a masterpiece. 
Westworld, to my mind, is completely uninterested in those deeper mysteries and questions, even though it sort of purports to be about them, about humanity or our nature. It, to me, is a jigsaw puzzle, not a TV show. Mm -hmm. It is um, very, very cerebral, not necessarily in the Edward Norton sense. It is pleased with its cleverness and the tricks that it's playing. But to my mind and my experience in the first season, there is, there is, it says nothing about humanity and there are no characters that I'm compelled in or interested in. I'm not rooting for anyone. Um, it's a pageant. I, I just found it completely inert, um, despite having remarkable production values, despite having some of the best actors working, giving very good performances. And the trends, the second season might be better in a lot of ways, because I think there are some elements of the first season that even if I was just trying to admire it in a test tube, uh, I would say, well, that that didn't break right. You know, I mean, the entire season seemed to be built on us being shocked by some of the revelations that happened later in the season, the yeah. Ed Harris reveal, the Jeffrey Wright reveal. People were guessing those in week two and three, and the show never really had the momentum to recover and had nothing underneath those tricks to, to carry us. I think they've learned a lot of lessons. I'm sure they have going into the second season. So it might be a better designed um, mystery box mm -hmm. in the second season. But, f and of course I'll watch, but, but fundamentally, I just don't think it's interested in being the kind of show that I think I wish it could be. Or I wish it would be, or that I prefer it to be. Fair enough. I, I mean, my TLDR of that is like I just I want to see them go beyond the the realm of the of the the boundaries that they have set physically for that show. They're going to go into these other parks, apparently. You know, and I, I'm curious about that. It's just weird to me that like a show that I don't understand what we're rooting for, or what we're supposed to care about, and they're like, okay, I hear you, but samurais. <laughs> That's just a very weird. Andy response wants to me. samurais. Okay. Uh, this one's more for me. Chris, what is the basis of your self-admitted bias against animated shows? And Andy, what's the animated show you most wish Chris would watch? I love that I'm getting a pass here. Your team cartoons. So Andy probably is more in the Pixar zone, right? Like, well, that that's not by choice. Right. That's by, well, you made the choice. I, okay, big picture, <laughs> yeah, I made the choice. You made the choice. Yeah. I would say that this is a little bit of a bit on my part. Yeah. I have I enjoy BoJack. I don't I, you know, I don't watch it like the day it comes out, but I've I enjoyed the stuff I've watched. I sincerely like adore the first few seasons of Archer. Yeah, I Archer's just fell great. behind it. Um and I obviously have watched my fair share of Simpsons and South Park as just like an American person my age. Uh I cried at the beginning of Up. I enjoyed Wally and Inside Out. Like, it's not like I, yeah. I, I think it's like I put it forward, like I'm just like, get this shit off my plate. But I would say that it's one of those things yeah. where I always ask myself if an animated show or, or cartoon is like put in front of me, I'm like, could I be doing something better with my time? Totally. Yeah. I could I be watching Gold Rush? Yeah, What's Parker doing? Have they, have they hit the seam? Have you checked the Nottingham <laughs> score? Because they are, um, I guess. I, I, I mostly agree with you. And I've kind of gotten a pass for a lot of this because you take up so much of the spotlight in the not paying attention to cartoons. Sure. You know, like I, I will dabble with Rick and Morty and I, I think it's clever and sometimes it's funny, but I, I don't, I'm not particularly engaged by it, which isn't to say it's bad. I just don't think it's for me. The one I would, the example I would give you, and this is a little bit of a callback to our, our favorite guests who don't talk about their work, um, Big Mouth. On Netflix, okay. Nick Kroll, Andrew Goldberg, John Mulaney, Manzukis, um, Jesse Klein, Jordan Peele, Oscar Award winner. Uh, it is a show about puberty. It is extremely funny. It is very filthy, but it also answers, passes the test that I would put it shows that are animated, which is I see why they not only why they chose to make this a cartoon, mm -hmm. but I see why this is better as a cartoon. Gotcha. Because it captures the sort of insanity of a particular period in people's lives pun may be intended because that's certainly part of it too and blows it out to reflect like the emotional uh, the emotional aspect of it yeah. i mean there there literally are male and female hormone monsters menacing these kids it's very smart and it actually is and it's very funny i would recommend everyone watching it the first season but i i would recommend my friend chris ryan checks it out uh Will Will Perkle gets the uh, Mariano Rivera Closer Award here. Yeah. Last question. Can we get some new music recommendations? Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I got a Spotify playlist I'm going to put up. Okay, I'll put good. it up today. Great. This is I, Andy only? I'm locked in. Why don't you put up yours, man? Are we going to go head to head? Let's do it. We, we, can't, be, we can't be together? Well, we can. We don't need to, like, chase likes here. But, like, you, you put up yours. I imagine it's 10 tracks of Hot Snakes <laughs> of the new Hot Snakes album. And then, like, one 
Predictably, I like the Hot Snakes record, Jericho Sirens. I also really like this L.A. band called the Altons that I've recently gotten into. Oh, yeah. Uh, they kind of sound like the Alabama Shakes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a couple of really great singles that they've put out last year and this year. And just like an awesome, awesome band. They're like kind of like nouveau stacks stuff with a little bit of like a Latin See, feel. I'm glad you asked this question, Will, because Chris doesn't share this stuff with also, me. Also, Ice Age is my favorite working band right now. Chris, here, here's, here's a little insight into the old Greenwald Ryan dynamic. I will, during a work day, just text Chris a Spotify link. And there is no sure way not to get a response from Chris. Spotify send links, him like, if link. I'm on my phone, it's just like, for some reason, I have a block of clicking on a Spotify no, link. Sure, I just assume, though, that you've got, like, three screens up, mm-hmm. like um, Corey Stoll and Born Legacy. <laughs> and, you know, I actually think it's a, it's it's servicey, because I imagine that you are just listening to nothing but your hammering heartbeat on your third green tea of the afternoon as you attempt to edit a blog post. And I'm like, here's some music to lighten your load, friend. Yeah. Not the case. Um uh, the Lucy Dacus album is my favorite record of the year so far. It's okay. called Historian. It's on Matador. Um, very young singer-songwriter. And she has she has the range, man. She has the goods. They're terrific songs. Lucy Dacus, what else? Give me two others. Just, just right Soccer there. Mommy. Okay. She, this is a 20... These are very young women making these incredible albums this year. Um, that's one I really like. The Super Chunk album. You know, I realized we, we had um, Mac, Mac and John, John from yeah. Super Chunk on the show... Uh, because we recorded it as a, the interview at a different time than the show, I didn't do like five minutes as to why this band is so important to us. But their album, um, What a Time to Be Alive, not a collaboration with Future, unfortunately, but one of the best albums of their career and a just blisteringly essential um, political rock album for this year. I listen to it constantly. Andy and I will put our competing playlists mm-hmm. in the show notes, I guess. This you, is where it ends. When do we do our podcast just on our opinions about O3 Greedo and how, why is, why are all rappers low-key Paramore fans? I gotta have Donnie Kwok, we gotta have Kwok on if we're talking to O3 Greedo. But, because he has some, some singeing hot takes on Greedo. I am ready for those takes, but I, I, I kind of, we need to have a deeper dive into why, and this is, by the way, this is great for me, but why are all rappers into Paramore now? Or like, why is emo okay now? It's been okay. I mean, obviously. It's been okay since McConan, right? Yes. I mean, there's obviously a, I mean, a lot of what's on Rap Caviar basically could have been on um, uh, Drive Through Records uh-huh. 15 years ago in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it's interesting to me. I think Molly might be the answer. Yeah, Someone we know named Molly no, or I literally the drug? Not someone we know, literally the drug. Yeah, but okay, I hear that, but... I can't imagine again. Children who listen to our show don't not, do, don't do drugs. Don't do Molly. But <laughs> let us know why O three Greedo is important. But not just that. But like why you would ever want to uh, experience a drug that is uplifting. Yeah, I can't. And then and then listen to Dashboard Confession. My emotional palate is still DS two by future. <laughs> yeah, that is that is your vibe. Yeah, <laughs> you are. So you 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 don't go onto Grape Street with no, the wolves. No, I, I I stay in. I like future DS two. I like Hot Snakes, Jericho Sirens. <laughs> I just like Ric Flair drip by Offset. Um, let's quickly talk about episode three oh, before yeah. we get out of here of Collateral. We've been doing the sort of chapter. What re- do people think? Are people talking about that on our Facebook group? This has been a really interesting show. I have not gotten as much of a nuanced but varied response. So people are actually have like intellectually stimulating things to say about the show mm-hmm. rather than like, this sucks, it was overrated, or this is the best show of all time. Obviously, people have their critiques of it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I just wanted to talk about episode three specifically yeah. because it has, I think, maybe the best written scene I've seen in a really long time, and that's the interrogation between Kip and Fatima I like uh, at the at the detention center. Uh it's just, it's writing at its finest, I think. It's writing, it's got humor, it's got humanity, it's got moments in between dialogue where Fatima asks, like, why did you come without the men this time? Mm-hmm. And, and Carrie Mulligan just looks at her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing that needs to be said. There's the really heartwarming moment where uh, Kip shows Fatima the video of her falling as a pole vaulter. Yeah. And they just, you know, those conversations in which the axis of power tilts back and forth between the two participants several times are always my favorite dramatic scenes to watch. So, you know, I, I, I fully acknowledge that Collateral is 
has very convenient moments and is is very polemical. That, but I I thought that this is if you want to know why I love this show so much, it was that scene. That was the word I was going to use when talking about episode three. This was the one for me where, uh, and I'm still enjoying it. I'm still in on it. And by the way, still excited. There's only one episode left. Um, it's extremely polemical, and this was the episode where the overall points that David Hare is very excited to make about each branch of the story, and in some cases, branch of government, this is the one where they started to pull apart for me, and I missed a central spine. There are things to commend the show for Mm -hmm. in its lack of um, fealty to television tradition. But actually, what I'm starting to feel about it is I wish it was a little more TV traditional, because I want this to be Kip Glassby's show. Yeah, I want the show to have its detective hero and Prime follow her. with Carrie Mulligan, yeah. She's so good. Yeah. The character is great. Her interactions with everyone are the lifeblood of the show. And as we pull away from her, and she's just another piece in the tapestry, it's not just that I'm lost because everyone's delivering a great performance. It's because the limits of a show like this begin to be a little more clear. Yeah. Where the, the 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 conversation between uh, David the the MP and um, Billy Piper, who by the way finally got out of the apartment, Karen, so shouts yeah. to her. They're screaming, "Fight!" You know, I mean, th- there's not enough room for these characters to do more than shout their particularly entrenched points of view at each other. Yeah, and I that's a little bit of a bummer. There is room for there. Are, thankfully, there's room for things like, and this was very painful, like the. Um, the mother of uh, what's her name? The Sandrine. Well, that scene was very interesting as well. But no, the mother of the pizza girl who is R.I.P. Oh yeah, um, devastating. But there's room for those emotional beats. Sure. But this generally, as we're now we're heading home, it, you can tell that David Hare is a playwright. You can tell that he has worked in features because there, though he had the real estate to make people a little more complicated, he knew what he wanted to do. And so this, if that's the thing we've admired for the first two episodes, but it's very interesting as we it's fu- it's read the third this episode the to one consider it like TV. Because I think you and I have often gotten, had these yeah. eight and 10 episode seasons of we're like, why is this, yeah. why is this 10 episodes? Why is this eight episodes? This could have been six. I would have yeah. liked it if this was six and I yes. would have liked it if it was, of those six, four were entirely about Carrie Mulligan. Yes. Uh, the the heel turn of the already pretty heely Sam yeah. was a, uh, yeah. that was a tough I don't beat. even know if it's a heel turn. Is it, is it? Well, the, I mean, he came in as pretty mustache twirling evil. Sure. And turns out he's not a great guy. Yeah, I guess so. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but you and I, I believe, I can say this, we will ride for D.I. Kip Glassby. Oh, this, I, 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 I make no apologies for this show. I, I'm ready for a novelization just following her adventures in London. I mean, she's great. So we've got some scheduling things that we're working on in terms of having some guests. So we're not quite sure what Thursday is going to be, but we'll let you guys know as soon as possible. The playlist that Andy and I are talking about will be in the show notes. We really, really appreciate all your guys' questions. We'll this is fun. hit the last episode of Collateral, although there's not a ton left to say. I mean, the, the end is not, uh, there's not like huge twists or whatever. So we will, we'll get to the last episode of Collateral on Thursday. Um, I think we're going to have an interview, but we're just not we're sure We're going to have one. an interview. It's just Either one you'll be pretty excited about, yeah. I think. So until then, for Greenwald. Great, great job, Brian. Great job by you, Brian. Uh, hey, great job by us. Woo. You still got it. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Green Chef. Feel like the star of your own cooking show with Green Chef Meal Kits. Green Chef is a meal kit company that delivers everything you need to cook gourmet meals at home, including organic ingredients and easy recipes. Plus, they are USDA certified organic, and they offer options for specialty diets like vegan, paleo, gluten-free, and more. Sign up today for a special limited-time offer. Go to greenchef.us slash watch for $50 off your first meal kit. That's greenchef.us slash W-A-T-C-H for $50 off.